Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask that you would use our life in any way that you choose. That our life would be fully submitted to you, to Christ. And that as we look to your word this morning at contentment, that we will see how you are all that we need. All we have is you, and you are all we need. Help us to find our contentment and satisfaction in you alone. pray in Jesus' name, amen. Turn your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4. Thank you for those of you who prayed for us at Junior High Camp, and uh, those of you who gave to send a few of those campers on full-ride scholarships so that they can get there. Uh, There's so much truth that they heard. The gospel was clearly proclaimed. Uh, We had one kid in our cabin make a profession of faith in Christ, uh, not from our church, but he was joined with us, and um, we just rejoice in those opportunities that they wouldn't have had that chance to hear the gospel unless somebody sent them uh, to camp, and so we're thankful for that, um, for those opportunities, and next week, in a week, we'll be going to senior high camp, so already start praying for our campers who are going to be going up there. So thank you for praying. Philippians chapter 4 is where we find our text this morning, and we're going to be looking at verse 13, which is one of the most misused scripture verses in all of the Bible. Um, We have, uh, I think Pastor Mike, maybe a couple years ago, preached on this as one of those in the the list of misused scriptures, so we're going to be talking about this as well. This is a Babylon Bee article. It's a satire. It's spoken to make fun of uh, some things that we kind of do in our our Christian lives. So this is a news article they wrote about the context. The Apostle Paul actually wrote Philippians 4.13 after narrowly winning church softball game. So it's just to poke fun at kind of how we use this. Another one. Weird but true, two Christian high schools have been stuck in a tied football game for six months after both teams invoked Philippians 4.13. What do you do, right? If both teams can do all things through Christ who strengthens them, who's going to win that battle? I don't know. Maybe because they didn't use that verse correctly. And then I saw this as something you can actually buy, and they advertise it this way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then they put up ribbons that got second, third, and fourth place. If they could do all things through Christ, doesn't that always make you win every single time? So why is there second, third, and fourth place up there? I thought we're supposed to use this as a way to make us run faster, beat the other team. And just a couple weeks ago, I saw this on my Facebook. Oh, it made me a little sad. Uh, my high school that I went to, a Christian high school uh, in Indianapolis, they were just redoing their gymnasium renovating it in big, bold letters, right bef- words right before you walk into the gym, it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I was like, is there no high school Christian teacher, is there a Bible teacher there that could say, you know what? That's not really what that verse is talking about. I don't see many people come after a big loss of the basketball game and say, well, I guess I can't do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It wasn't quite enough to win the game. I don't hear anybody talking about, or even the professional athletes that might have this on their shoes, and says, and who had like a terrible game, and then they're interviewed by the reporter, and they say, well, I can do all things through Christ in my poor performance. 
that I'm content that I did terrible today, but I can still do all things through Christ. They usually don't mention this verse after they, after they have a poor performance. It's usually only when they do well and excel and succeed, that's when they can do all things through Christ. I can understand the desire to try to be humble, knowing that the strength that you have and the abilities you have are only from God, but that's not what this verse is talking about here. Our big idea for this morning is going to be that contentment comes through Christ, not our circumstances. It comes through Christ, not what's happening around us, not whether we win the game or not. It's not whether good things happen. It's not based on anything surrounding us. It's on what we have in Christ. Let's look at verses 10 through 13 together. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, Paul was in a difficult place when he's writing this, when he's writing about his contentment. He's in prison, and he wants to communicate to the Philippians that he has received their generosity, he has received their gift in verse 10, and he says that you, they have revived their concern for him. But he wants to say that it's not because um, they, they weren't concerned in the first place. He's not accusing them that you didn't care for me before, but now you are. He's saying they had no opportunity. And so he wants to show that their gift to him was it was received well but that also it's not the source of his contentment the reason why he's not content and happy is now that you finally gave me stuff here in prison now i'm content no he says i rejoiced in the lord that they have revived their concern for him it's about them it's about their spiritual maturity that he has seen in their life he doesn't say as like the people who might just get upset that you aren't thinking about me as much as I'm thinking about me. But now you're thinking about me, giving me stuff through Epaphroditus. Now I'm happy. No, he's so focused on rejoicing in the Lord. He shows his gratitude to the Philippians and rejoices in how they are being like Christ and giving resources to him in his time of need. As Paul now is ending his letter with this thankfulness to the Philippians, he started his letter that way as well. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, he starts by saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He starts with thankfulness, and now he's ending with thankfulness. What a great letter, what a great church to be a part of. And as he looks, we look at verses 10 through 20, as we're going to look at that whole next time we get together, that's really what this passage is about. It's not just about verse 13. It's not just about learning to be content. This learning to be content is actually just a small golden nugget of truth amidst the bigger passage of Paul's thankfulness to the Philippians for their generosity. 
this, this nugget of contentment. It's just Paul saying, you have revived your concern. You have been generous giving of your resources to me. And I'm so thankful for all the things that you're doing. But I just want you to know that it's not the stuff that you've given to me that is the source of my contentment. That's not why I'm happy. That's not why I'm rejoicing the Lord. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I can rejoice in the Lord, whether I have much or I don't have anything all at all. It's I've learned to be content. And so we need to understand what contentment is and what it isn't. Contentment is being happy with what you have. Or it's being at peace in a situation that you're not expecting more and more. But this word content here in verse 11 it's actually the only word that he uses in the Greek, this word content, it's the only one found. And it's speaking directly to what they would see as being self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency, that's what that word content means, is that I have everything I need in myself. Now that doesn't sound like Paul, Right? I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I have everything I need within myself. So that's what they would see. That's what they would read this I am content all by himself. He needs nothing outside of himself. That's why in verse 13 we can see that he can do all things through him who strengthens me. He says that this self sufficiency that he has is there because. He has Christ. Because Christ is in him, he has everything that he needs right here. He doesn't need the gift from the Philippians. He doesn't need, he's learned to face plenty and he's learned to face need. He's had lots of food. He's gone without food. He's been in hardships, shipwrecks, things like that. He's been beaten, all these areas. He says he's learned to be content because he has everything he needs right here, because he has Christ. That is why this word content is so important. The self-sufficiency, but it's really the sufficiency in Christ that he has within himself. What a great picture for us as Christians. It might be easy for us as Christians to try to be self-sufficient. We kind of talked about this a little bit in our ABF time of the sufficiency that I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody else to help. Have you ever made it to the end of your day and think, I don't know if God did anything today. I didn't really think about him at all. I just kind of went about my day. I woke up, I, I got my coffee, I got to work, I did that, I got home, and then it was time with the kids or time with the family, watched some TV or whatever it is, and then I went to bed, and as I lay my head on my pillow, I think, wait, where was God? Sometimes we as Christians can be so self-sufficient without Jesus and think, I can do it all on my own. Have you ever thought about your life and think, you know what, my life's going pretty good, and I haven't read the Bible in months. I haven't really prayed much in my daily life, and things are going fine. Do I really need that? I mean, if things are going great in my life and I don't really give much time to God, is it really that important? Can't I just do things in and of myself? Can't I be self-sufficient? But contentment for the Christian, it's not about being self-sufficient within ourselves. We need to be sufficient in who we have in Christ. Contentment 
is not complacency. Contentment is not complacency. It takes great strength to be content with what God has given you. It's not that you don't care anymore. It's not like, well, I'm content with what I have. I just don't even care if I have anything else, whether things are taken, taken away from me or not. Contentment is not false peace. As if we can only be content if we don't know any better. We don't know if there's anything else out there. Right? Ignorance is not bliss. It's just ignorant. Can a person in a third world country be just as content with what God has provided them as a Christian in America? Can a person in a Christian in a third world country be just as discontent with what God has given them as a Christian in America? Sure. And we also need to address this language of want versus the language of need. And this might help us in dissecting whether we are content or discontent. The, I, I need a new pair of shoes because mine have a, a scuff on the side of it. Or I need a new job because this wasn't, isn't really giving me the benefits that I have that, or that I want. Or I need sexual fulfillment, so I need to have that boyfriend or girlfriend. Or I, I need to get married in order to be satisfied. Or I need lunch because I haven't eaten since 10 a.m. Yes, even in our eating. I think it was Pastor Bredestin that said, uh, who's down in Haiti, who says you don't need to eat every day. Coming from somebody who lives there, makes us kind of wonder, what are our true needs? And we often use this phrase, right? If you look down in verse 19, we like this phrase, and my God will supply every need of yours. And we're like, great. God's going to supply every one of our needs. So then we might make up some things that, well, actually, I, could, I really need this, or I need that. And it's not really one of our needs, and we often leave it there, and we'll talk about this next time. It says, God will supply every one of your needs according to what, though? <laughs> according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So maybe the, the needs that I think I need as an American might be different than the need of somebody who lives in Haiti. So what really are our needs? When we talk about God providing for our needs, being content with what he has provided for us, sure, we need water, clothing, and shelter in order to physically live. But is that what God's talking about when he says that we need to learn to be content? Or that when he says he's going to provide for our needs? Or are there needs of a spiritual nature? Are there some needs that we have that God is the only one who can meet them eternally? Or something of more value than just the physical needs that we need to have in order to survive? Are we content in this physical realm, in this physical world, with the physical things that God has provided for us? Are we content in that not because we are good or comfortable living, but because we are content with Christ. That Jesus says, this is what I'm going to give you. Be content in that. So how can we? How can we be content in good times and bad? Look at verse 11 and 12. It says that he's been in need. It says Paul has been brought low. He, has know how to, know, he knows how to abound. He has the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He's gone through it all. 
He's not just speaking as one who is living life to the fullest, who has all of the pleasures of the world. He's not in that place. Right now, he's writing from prison. So he's one who is um, in a tough time. And he says this. He says, I have learned, verse 11. And then in verse 12, I have learned the secret. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I think of the Apostle Paul, and I think that he's already got it. Like, I mean, he was a bad dude, right, at first. He was persecuting the church. He was murdering Christians. And then God miraculously saves him on the road to Damascus, blinds him. He's like, I'm going to use you. You are my chosen instrument. And then I just think Apostle Paul is like, boom, he's got it. Because he just goes out and he starts sharing the gospel. So he's arrived, right? Just at that moment of conversion that he's got everything figured out. But he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I had to learn this. I had to learn to be content. I had to learn this secret of facing plenty and facing hunger. Usually we just see him in instruction mode. Paul is telling other people what they need to be doing with their Christian life. But he had to learn this as well. Just like you and just like me. We need to learn how to be content. I've often heard people say that, well, you know, you know how to be content because you've gone through that tough trial. Or, wow, you went for how long without a paycheck? You must really know how to be content. But just because we've gone through something difficult, that doesn't automatically make us godly at the end of it, right? I mean, I went to the Brickyard 400 a long time ago with my dad, and we sat there for a while. I did not know what was going on. Cars were going in circles. I'm like, that's fun. Great. I see him come and I see him go. I'm like, okay, now what? Well, we wait for them to come back around again. I'm like, all right. Me and my dad, we weren't, we're not NASCAR fans. We, we didn't know what was happening. And so partway through, I know you're going to be shocked, but we kind of left because we didn't understand it. We didn't get the fun. We didn't get it. And we're sitting around people who did. And so I left. I can say I've been to the Brickyard 400. And some of you might be like, whoa that's awesome. I'm like, okay, great. But if I were to sit there and I were to ask the people around me and say, so why are they doing that? Why are they pitting now and not later? What's going on? Why are they not passing him when he could? And understand some of the strategy that goes into it. If I talk to some people around me to help me learn this sport, then maybe I would be able to appreciate it. That makes sense, right? But just because I went to the Brickyard 400 doesn't mean I know a lot more about NASCAR than I did when I was there. Just because we go through a difficult time in life doesn't mean that we're going to automatically know how to be content. It's something that we have to learn. It's something that as we're going through those difficult things that we talk to godly people and we say, how can I understand this? How can I learn to be content? Can you share wisdom with me? Share truth with me so that I can learn this? There's four things that we can do to learn contentment. First, you have to have a relationship with Christ. There's no way that you're going to be content in this life if that eternity out there is uncertain for you. If you're like, I don't even know where I'm going to go when I die, how in the world are you going to be content with the things that you have now if you don't even know for certain whether you're going to be with the Lord or not? And God says this. He says, I write these things to you 
who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Something for us to know, to, to have a relationship with Christ. And this was the cool thing about the kid I was able to share the gospel with on Monday. He didn't know. He said, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'll be with God. But then after we shared the gospel with him, and then he placed his faith and trust in Christ, we talked to, the next, to him the next day and said, now do you know if you would die today that you would be with God? And he said, first he said, I think so. And I'm like, you think so? He's like, no, I know. I'm like, well, how do you know? And he walked me through the gospel so clearly. <laughs> it was amazing. It was mind-blowing how God worked in him. That He's like, well, Jesus died on the cross, and God raised him from the dead, and I'm a sinner, and I need to put my faith and trust in him. If I do that, then God will forgive me of my sins. Like, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, it was amazing. The, the difference between Monday of like, well, I think I should pray and go to church and stuff. From that to him knowing Christ, having that relationship you have to have Christ in order to be content with what Christ is giving you in your life. You have to have him. We'll see that in verse 13 later. Be satisfied with Christ. This one might be the tough one for us as Christians. Are we satisfied with him? That we have Christ in our life, is that good enough for us? Psalm 107.9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things not only can you be content with knowing where you're going to spend eternity you can be content with your relationship with jesus what need can your spouse or sibling or child or friend provide for you that jesus cannot you can glorify god without those individuals in your life but you cannot glorify God without Jesus in your life. Are you satisfied, Christian, with Christ even in your singleness? Are you satisfied and content with Christ even in your marriage? Are you satisfied with Christ maybe in your poverty? With what God has given you and God has said, this is you, this is what I'm giving to you right now, is that just something else compared to your relationship with Christ? Are you satisfied in him? Are you content with just having Jesus? That if God were to take it all away right now, all the stuff, would you be content in Christ? Think about those things that God has promised us. Think about Christians in the, in the third world country. Think about Christians who are being persecuted people who are being killed because they believe in Jesus. Are they content in Christ? <laughs> They're ha literally having everything taken away from them. Can they still be content in Christ? Can they be satisfied? Is Christ enough to satisfy them? Is Christ enough to satisfy you? And we need to turn, or we need to think about the things of Christ. I didn't put the verse up there because it's right there on our page. In verse 8 that we saw last time, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, we need to start thinking upon these things. It needs the things of Christ and the glories of Jesus Christ need to be filling our mind if we're going to be content with what Jesus Christ brings us. When you look at the surrounding things in your life, begin to filter them through the word of God. Do I really need a TV with a cable package and Netflix and Prime Video and all that? 
Do I need that in order to survive? Is that true? (laughs) I want those people to treat me a certain way. The word of God is going to help us to think what's right and true and lovely about all the things in our life. Whether we're in a time right now of need or if we're in a time of plenty. God's word will help us to think correctly on how to be content. And then number four, turn to Christ in gratitude. In thankfulness to God. That's what this letter is all about, this showing thanks to these Philippians. 2 Timothy 4, 17a says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through, the me- through me the message might be fully proclaimed. Are we turning to the Lord? Are we seeing that the Lord is the one who is strengthening us? Seeing that if we are going to be content in any of our situations, it's not just because I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. It's because the Lord is the one allowing me to be content. Everything that I have is because God has allowed and has given to me. So do I recognize that? It's the Lord that's going to strengthen me. And then I'm thankful for that. The more I'm thankful to turning my gratitude to Christ in the good times, the more apt I'm going to be to turn to Christ in the hard times. Because I've practiced it over and over again. Something good I see as good happens to me, I'm like, praise the Lord. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for that. Then something difficult comes into my life. If I'm in the habit of turning to the Lord in thankfulness, then what's going to come out of my mouth? What's going to be filling my mind, gratitude towards the Lord? Say, Lord, thank you for this difficult time as it'll help me to grow. (laughs) Thank you for helping me learn contentment. And sometimes we, I I know we have this mentality of don't pray for something because God might give it to you. As if God is a mean God, like, ha ha, now, since you prayed for it, now I'm going to help you to be patient. Have you heard people say that? And I I know I've said it before, like, don't pray for patience because then he's going to give you opportunities to be patient. It's like, wait, but isn't that what we're supposed to be praying for? (laughs) To be patient? Well, then why wouldn't we want the opportunities to learn patience? You think it's going to magically happen? No. Same thing with contentment. We should be praying to God that we are content with what he has given us. Don't be afraid to pray for it. And then when God gives you an opportunity, don't belittle God and think, how dare you, God? I can't believe you would do this to me, God. Now you're giving me a chance to be content. Now you're giving me a chance to become more like Christ. How dare you? Right? Don't we have that mentality sometimes? We don't want to pray for anything difficult to happen in our life because God might help us to be more like Jesus through it. Would we rather have the opposite, that nothing bad happens in our life and then we are not like Jesus? Paul tells Timothy this, if we, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Basically, if we are alive, if God has given us enough things in order to be alive, I will be content with that. Just living. Having the most basic of things, I'm going to be content with what he's given me. This doesn't mean that you have to be a minimalist in order to please God. But it does give us an example that if according to God's plan that you have a minimal life, that you have minimal resources, then we must be content. It doesn't matter what it is, that if we have food and clothing, we can be content. And this flies in the face of our corporate world, doesn't it? 
They're constantly telling you to put yourself out there, demand more, achieve greatness so that you can live this lavish lifestyle. The church, the people of God, we're different than a business, aren't we? We have different values, don't we? It's not just achieving more, having more stuff. It takes great faith to be content with fewer resources than what we're used to. Paul said that he knew what it was like to abound and to face plenty and to have abundance. But right now he's writing in a state of being brought low. Now he's not low in spiritual status at all, but he's low in the things that he has around him. And he doesn't tell them, he says, I've been brought low, I'm right in a time of need right now, don't worry, things will get better. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, oh, things are going to turn around. He says, I have learned to be content where I am. It's not all about things getting better in our life, looking to when we will have more. It's about being content right now with what God has given us. So are you a thermostat or a thermometer? I know with this heat, it was really easy to want to just stay indoors. We're at camp, so we couldn't do that all the time. But think about somebody who might come in out of the heat, walk into church in the cool air. Somebody says, how are you doing today? They're like, oh, great now. Man, finally, the air conditioning things, I'm just cooling off. Today is wonderful. And then they forget their Bible back in their car. Like, no. So on their way out, they get hit, just smacks them in their face. And then somebody coming in from their car and say, hey, how are you doing today? Like, terrible. I'm out in this heat. Oh, I forgot my Bible. Oh, this is the worst day ever. What happened in those five minutes? The circumstances around them changed their outlook on life. It changed their perception of what God wanted them to think. Like, well, God is good here in the air conditioning, but he's not out there when it's hot. But isn't that how we are a lot of times? The circumstances around us change who we are, changes our attitude. God wants us to be a thermostat of contentment. I never thought I'd say that from the pulpit, but I did. God is calling you to be a thermostat of contentment, to set that temperature of, I'm going to be content with whatever God brings me today, whether I am the cool AC or whether I have to be outside in the heat all day long. I will be content because that's what God desires for me. That's what I can be. I can be content in Christ, what God has given me because his word says that I can do these things. I can be content because of Christ. And that's where we're getting to verse 13. I can do all these things through him who strengthens me. Think of Ephesians chapter 2. Think of yourself. What were you like, whether it was just a few years ago or whether it was when you were a kid, before you knew Jesus, what were you? According to Ephesians 2, you were dead, right? Dead in your trespasses and sins. There is nothing a dead person can do. And as you are dead in your trespasses, it goes on to say that God has made us alive together in Christ. So God is the one who is able to make a spiritually dead person become spiritually alive and have eternal life. Now, it's an amazing power to see somebody rise from the dead, 
right? Jesus did that. The Apostle Paul did that. See that somebody rise from the dead. But how much more power is there to rise somebody who is spiritually dead and make them have eternal life? That is some kind of power. And it is that same power that he's talking about here that strengthens him to be able to be content in any and every situation. How can we have the vocabulary of I just can't even in our, in our words that we say as Christians? I know it's a popular thing today to say I just can't even. When life is too hard, too difficult, there's so much going on that a Christian might say I just can't even deal with this. Really? You have the power of Christ in you. You have been made spiritually alive through the power of Jesus and you just can't even? God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And this is the power that enables you, believer, to be content in Christ. No matter what he has brought in your path, no matter what trials you're going through, you can be content in that because it's his power that strengthens you to do that. Maybe you just can't even because you're relying upon yourself. You think, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and if I can't handle this, then there's no hope. Are you trusting in Christ? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's on page 970 of your pew Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And as you're making your way there, I want you to think about a guy named Job. We remember this character from the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. You can look him up later if you're not familiar. But God will go to great lengths to help you rely upon him. Have you ever thought about that? That God goes to great lengths to help you rely upon him. When Job, do you think when God allowed Satan to take away all his stuff, his fam- all his children died, all his cattle and livestock, the way he made money, gone. His health went away. And all of that, do you think it was within Job's own power? In Job 1.21 where he says, the Lord gave away and the Lord the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You think that was just because he was a good guy? Or do you think it was because of his relationship, of his constantly going to the Lord in gratefulness and the righteousness that he showed all throughout his life that enabled him to be able to say something like that? Because of what God had done in his life, how God was at work. Then we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 7. This is Paul again speaking to the Corinthians. He says, So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Even in that, even though he says a messenger from Satan is here to harass me, he doesn't say, Well, this is Satan's fault. Satan's at doing something we got to stop him. No, he recognized that even this messenger from Satan was one to help him from being conceited. So he saw this whole scenario as an opportunity for him to grow in Christ. 
He's like, that's why this thorn was given to me. I know what's happening. I know that there's pain in my life so that I am not conceited. So I don't just think that I'm so much greater than everybody else because I've gotten all this revelation from God. He said, I need to make sure that I'm not going to be conceited. And Paul's then response is, three times I pleaded with the Lord, verse 8, about this, that it should leave me. We're going to find out here's where he's learning contentment. Right? He's like, this is coming. I know it's because so that I don't sin in my life. But still, I'm like, God, just stop it. Just take it away. Get rid of this hard circumstance. Can we identify with that? Lord, just take it away. Make it stop. This is too much for me. I can't handle it. But then God's response, Christ's response here. But he said to me in verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. You should be content in my grace. It's enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Isn't that tremendous? God doesn't say, okay, all right, I can see it's too much. I'm going to take it away. No, he says, no, no, no. My grace is enough for you. The circumstances, yes, this is tough. Yes, it's hard. I understand you're in a lot of pain and hardship right now. But guess what? My grace is enough, even in that situation. He says his power is made perfect in weakness. And then what is Paul's response? It's a little bit different. He's not saying, okay, I get it. That's, that's great, God. But still, can you take it away? Or make it minimalize it just a little bit? No, he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. Why would he do that? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Is that how you pray when you go through trials? Lord, Lord thank you for making me weak. Thank you for bringing me low is because now the power, I can see the power of Christ at work in me because if I am content in this situation, it's obviously you're doing the work in my heart. It's not me. I can see then that you are at work in my life, that I can go throughout my day and not just put my head on my pillow and think, Lord, did you do anything? No, I went through these hardships and these trials. I went through all of this and I could see, I could be content because of you, because you are the one who strengthens me. God goes to great lengths to help us to rely upon him. God might bring us a thorn of trials or relationship struggles to point out sin in our lives. What amazing grace that would save a wretch like me. What amazing grace that points out my wretchedness. Are you thankful for that? That in God's grace, he points out our sin, but then doesn't leave us there. That amazing grace that points our wretchedness and points to our sin is also this grace that can save me from it. The reason why his grace is sufficient is because his power is made perfect in our weakness. His almighty power that has been given to you By his grace, it's enough. It's sufficient. It's enough for me. It's enough for you. It's enough for us to be content. And this amazing grace is by the power of Christ. The same amazing grace that is sufficient in our time of weakness, believe it or not, it's also sufficient in our time of abundance. Think of Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Back in Luke 19, he was a chief tax collector. It says in uh, Luke 19 that he says that he was rich. 
that he was a sinner. Everybody knew that he stole from people. He had so much to his name. And it was a profitable to be a tax collector because you could steal. You can kind of get away with a lot of things. And you have a lot of stuff. He was a rich person. And then Jesus went in to eat with Zacchaeus. And people were upset about that because they knew how bad of a person this was. But because of the all-sufficient grace of Jesus Christ, we don't know what was said in that, in that house, but because of Christ, who then obviously did a work in Zacchaeus' life, who strengthened him, do you know what Zacchaeus did? Do you remember? He says, I'm giving away half of everything I have. He was rich. He could have said, great, I'm just going to be content with all that I have now. This is great. I'm sitting fine. But no, he realized that Christ is enough for him. He, he said, I can give away half of all I have to the poor. He says, and then after that, I'm going to return everything that I stole times four. Did he have to do that? You think Jesus said, now you better do this if you're going to follow me. No. Because you don't have to do this and do that in order to follow Christ, in order to be saved. He's, but when God transforms your life through Christ, then you all of a sudden realize Jesus is enough. He didn't have to. Zacchaeus didn't have to eat at all the nicest restaurants anymore. He didn't have to have all the best clothes. When he had Christ, he realized the power of that money that had a stronghold over his heart and life, that he was finding his worth in that. And he says, now I have Christ. I don't need to find my worth in money anymore. I can be content with just having Jesus. It takes just as much of the power of Christ to help me be content in my poverty as it does to be content in my riches. In our riches, though, it might be harder to be content because we might think, I did this. Look at me. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Practice of Godliness, he sums this up so well. I love this quote. This is the secret, all right? Here it is. Here's the secret to being content, to learn and accept that we live daily by God's unmerited favor. The fact that we are alive, it's only by God's grace. And it's given through Christ and that we can respond to any and every situation, yes, any and every, by his divine enablement through the Holy Spirit. Christian, brother, sister in Christ, it doesn't matter what happened to you last week. It does not matter what's going to happen to you this week. You can be content in Christ because you have the strength of Jesus Christ within you to help you to be content. It's possible. It doesn't matter what happened. Yes, some trials are more difficult than others. Paul went through it all, faced hunger, faced plenty, and he learned to be content. And if he can do it, we can do it. He's a man just like you and I. We have Christ. We have the same Christ living in us that he did. We're going to sing this together. Christ is all I need. And this is going to be a, a song of confession. We're not going to have the instruments join us on this. But as we sing it, I want us to be praying that Christ is all that we need. That think about the things that you have in your life. Maybe you're in a time of plenty. You have so much. Maybe you need to pray and stop relying upon those riches and think, you know what, Christ, even if you were to take it all away, 
you are all I need. And maybe you're in a time when things are tough. You're pinching the pennies. Relationships aren't going well. Maybe you think, you know what? I can be content in Christ knowing that I have him. So we're going to sing this together. Let's begin. Christ is all I need. Christ is all I need. All I need. Christ is all I need. Christ is all I Lord, it takes the strength and the power of Christ to enable any one of us to be content with what you have given us. Lord, help us. Help us to see that you are all we need. That all we have is you and what you give to us. And you are all that we need. Turn our hearts from being greedy from saying, I need this, I need that, to just focus our attention on you. Thank you for making us go through trials and hardships so that we can learn this contentment. Thankful for Christ, in Jesus' name, amen.